the French accidentally made a war memorial out of a bathroom. The internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds made up, but is really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. Hi, my name's Michael Kent. Thank you for listening. This is a quick, lighthearted episode, and it's a story that definitely falls into the category of sounding like an urban legend. This is a fun one. If you want to let me know you're listening and enjoying this podcast, please consider joining the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Consider how many hours of entertainment you're getting from this show and compare that to what you pay for, you know, Netflix or Disney Plus. You can join the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That's like three cents a day. Hardly anything. And for that, you get access to a ton of bonuses, but mostly you just earn the title of Tizitor and help support this podcast to keep it going. Also, if you haven't already, I'd like to remind you to submit a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. That's the Purple Podcast app. Just a five-star review along with a few words helps me out a ton because it gets more people listening to the show and you want them on this bandwagon. So this story takes place over a period of 27 years. It's all about one of the most famous military generals in American history. History knows him as a few different names. Old Blood and Guts, Georgie, Bandito, The Old Man. But when you use his name, General George S. Patton, It's hard to find an American who hasn't heard of him. Now, you know, helped by a popular 1970 biopic starring George C. Scott, Patton is one of those figures of history that has gone down as undoubtedly one of the greatest combat generals to ever live. He was a divisive figure, particularly later in his life, but there's no doubt that he was effective and celebrated for his military career. The American Expeditionary Forces were a formation of the United States Army on the Western Front during the First World War. Under the command of General John Pershing, tanks were being used for the very first time in combat. And George Patton not only helped lead tanks into combat, he trained others how to fight with tanks while he was in France. He ended up getting wounded and leaving the war, but continued to be instrumental after the war. He helped develop the doctrine that the army uses for training soldiers to fight with tanks. This led to a huge role in the Second World War, where he commanded the 2nd Armored Division into battle in Europe and was actually vitally important to the success of the D-Day invasion at Normandy. He was part of the operation that meant to fool the Germans into thinking that Normandy was just a diversion. It involved movements to mimic huge troop buildups in other parts of Europe, fake radio transmissions, leaked on-purpose documents, and a whole host of PSYOPs campaigns to trick the enemy. By having a prominent general like George Patton be a part of these tactics, it gave the fake plans credence and was a huge success. He was given command of the Third Army and went on to have even more military achievements, including helping to relieve the troops at the Battle of the Bulge. It was 1944, when the U.S. Army was pushing through a small village in France by the name of Borg, when Patton was reliving some of his memories of being there during World War I. That was the location of the tank training camp that he ran during the First War. He visited his old office and the place where he slept in the Chateau of Madame de Vaux. It was in Borg in 1944 where he discovered a gravesite that had been beautifully maintained, and he was one of the only men in the world who knew the truth. It wasn't a gravesite at all. We'll tell that story after a quick break. 
the internet says it's true is happy to be sponsored by The Power of the Streak. This is an easy to read book by author Kara Wood with the best idea yet for consistent exercise and staying motivated over time. That part I read, this part I'm telling you from the heart, I struggle with working out regularly. You know, I'll go back, I'll start exercising, and then I'll stop after a couple of weeks, or I'll go a week and a half, and then I'll stop. And I learned that I'm not the only one who this happens to. So Kara has a similar story. Kara was, you know, basically without motivation for years, and she was able to find that formula that got her to flip the switch, and she hasn't looked back. She actually has been able to stick with it through uh, the methods that she teaches in her book. So she tells her story of starting and keeping a running streak for 12 busy years while having a demanding career, two kids. I mean, she has the, the secret to, to exercise no matter what. Her story is funny, it's relatable and inspiring, and she explains to you how you can do the same thing with any exercise. And it doesn't have to be running, which is hard on your knees and hurts your feet. And this isn't just the internet saying it's true. Even a cynic will leave feeling motivated, inspired, and excited to commit once and for all to long-lasting exercise and fitness. The book is called The Power of the Streak by Kara Wood, and it's available in all formats where books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can also get the audiobook on iTunes and Audible. So make sure, you know, you, you learn all about this. Go pick up the book. You can also follow The Power of the Streak on Instagram. It's just at The Power of the Streak and Twitter, Power of Streak. I think that you will enjoy it. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but Unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Before the break, we talked a little bit about General George Patton, and believe me, there's so much more to the man, good stories and not so good stories. But rather than get into a deep dive on his history, this episode just focuses on one particular story told in his memoirs. Now, Patton's memoirs were published after his death by his wife. He's credited with writing the book called War As I Knew It because he had been compiling these memories for some time before the book was published in 1947. Patton had passed away two years before. It was a strange accident. He had been riding in the back of a limousine in Mannheim, Germany. He was on a duck hunting trip. And while crossing through an intersection, 
his driver sped into an army truck. Patton was thrown forward into the glass partition in the limo and broke his neck. He died 12 days later in the hospital. Among Patton's possessions were an incredible collection of letters, journal entries, and essays that he'd been compiling throughout his later career. There were entries going back through most of his career. Here's a transcript of one of the early journals he wrote. Quote, Saturday, June 23, 1917. Sergeant Brain reported this morning that one of the machines ran over a Frenchman and broke his collarbone. I called on the prefect of police of the district, and after giving him a cigarette and a ride, he assured me that the victim was a robber and that my man was a poor victim. End quote. There are hundreds of letters like this in the Library of Congress. And in those writings, published in 1947, we first learn about this story from the town of Borg. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit in telling the story, but here's what happened. As the army was driving through France, they stopped briefly in Borg. Patton recognized it as where he had stayed during the First World War, and he recalled a man standing on a pile of manure and thought he looked like the man who he remembered, standing in that same spot the last time he visited. He called out to the man to ask him if he had been there during the last war, and the man apparently replied, quote, Oh yes, General Patton, and you were here then as a colonel, end quote. And as they passed through, he saw this grave that had been meticulously kept up all these years. The words on the cross said, Abandoned Rear. See, back in the first war, 27 years prior, the tank training camp was set to leave Borg. The town's mayor approached Patton, and he's got tears in his eyes. The mayor expressed how sorry he was about the fallen soldier and how it just tore him up, and Patton looked at the man, puzzled. He hadn't lost any men while they were there in the town, and he was confused what the mayor was talking about. So the mayor insisted that Patton follow him to the grave that he was talking about. The mayor led George Patton to an area where a rectangle of fresh dirt had been piled in the otherwise muddy field. And there was that wooden stake sticking out of the ground with a perpendicular stake nailed to it to resemble a cross. It was marked with the words, Abandoned Rear, because it was Patton's little joke. The thing that the mayor thought was a grave was really a latrine pit where the tank school had been relieving themselves. He had ordered one of his soldiers to go and fill it in and mark it so people knew not to dig there. The word rear is just a pun. It's a word for the back of an army position. And they were abandoning it because they were filling it in. Well, the locals apparently thought that was either the name of the soldier or thought that was how the Americans were referring to this fallen hero that was surely buried in this grave-shaped area. In his journal, Patton writes, quote, I never told them the truth, end quote. So there he was, 27 years later, visiting the same town, and he confirmed that the so-called grave was still being maintained. Now today, nobody knows exactly where this grave was. People have looked for it and failed. There is a memorial to General Patton and his tank school in the town, but that's about it. So is this true? Well, the internet says so, as does one of the most well-known generals in American history, old blood and guts George Patton. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling my friend Nick Paul. Nick is a comedian, magician, and a new author of the book Magically Introverted. I wanted to bring him on to to play the game, play the quiz, and to talk a little bit about his new book. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. You're just coming back from where? Just got off a boat in Argentina, met some nice Argentinians. 
They're all so friendly down there. They're like the nicest people ever. You just got into some man's car and it's just like, yeah, okay. I'm probably not going to get murdered. Should be okay. Just, it, it, was it not an Uber? It was just a stranger? You just, I, is that the way the, Uber the, works in Argentina? Is you just find someone? <laughs> Um, basically, uh, the cruise ship usually sets up a, a transfer, as I'm sure you know. But mm-hmm. on the way back, they forgot to. They was like, I'll just get a cab. You get reimbursed. <laughs> so I went up to some guy. He's like, yeah, cab, no problem. And then he takes him to some other dude's car. Like, he was lined up next to a whole bunch of real cabs. And then he took me to some other man's car. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Like, he turns to me as he's driving. goes, what is your name? <laughs> I go, oh, boy. This is either going to be good or this is going to be real bad. <laughs> but he's friendly. He was great. He was, uh, I got there, got to the plane on time. His directions were just pick up white man from dock, take to airport. Yes. That's pretty <laughs> amazing. Uh, well, I'm glad that you made it back. Uh, what, did you eat Argentinian food when you were there? Did you get a chance to no, do that? I don't think I did. You I just went straight hotel. from the ship. I, I mean, I wish I was like an Anthony Bourdain. You know, he's <laughs> like a hero, but I'm going to stick. I'm going to eat on the ship. Yeah. I mean, if you're working, the last thing I want to do is be sitting on the toilet all week and not Understood. be able to do a show. <laughs> Understood. I used to be able, I used to be like that. I was very careful about, especially, you know, with like corporate dinners where you're the after dinner entertainment. And I was always like, no, I'm not going to eat before the show just in case. And then one day I like added up all the meals that <laughs> I missed out on. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start eating uh, when they offer. But mm-hmm. I also, I've become more adventurous when I eat and I want to be able to feel like I've, you know, I've had the different cuisine. That said, when I went to uh, Spain, they took me out to dinner and we just went to a steakhouse and there was nothing Spanish about any of it. So I missed mm-hmm. out there. I'm just lots of meat on sticks, I'm sure. It, there was no, <laughs> not, nothing exotic, no stick. It was uh, just like if you went to a steakhouse here. Uh, so that was a little bit disappointing. But so okay. when did this book, Magically Introverted, come out? Um, came out last month. Uh, well, right before Christmas time, actually, and I've been working on it for two years, and it's just a bunch of weird story, very similar to the story I just told, just a bunch of weird stuff that it's, you know, it's stories from like things that have happened during shows and little show journals here and there. It was kind of a longer form book, like a self help book for introverts, and then I changed it to be just this weird set of show journals and th- stories from when I was performing, you know, for the troops uh, in Guantanamo Bay to. Mm-hmm. Performing on a private yacht with Ludacris in Miami. Just a bunch of weird, <laughs> weird things. I mean, things oh that we've all, as performers, have experienced and uh, non-performers, I'm sure, is inter- uh, interesting for, for people like, you know, that aren't, don't get up on stage normally. People find it hard to understand that a, a performer can be introverted. Um, and, yeah. And, and they don't understand that that's a thing that can happen because this is a job at the end of the day that, that we do. We're an actor. Um, playing the part of what would it be like if this normal person did magic or could do magic. And uh, how how have you navigated being an introvert with being on stage in front of hundreds and sometimes thousands of people? You know, it's funny. The stage part is always like I'm always crazy nervous before any show still to this day, like very severe anxiety. And the second I'm on stage, it's fine. And I'm in control and I, you know, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, 90 percent of the time you're you know, unless stuff hits the fan during the show, it's sure. you, it's okay. But yeah, it's it's the before and after and talking to the clients and like even the meet and greets after now that I'm like signing books and stuff. It's I'm better at it. I'm good at making jokes and, you know, chatting with people. But it is that that's the hard part for me. It's just the small talk. I have a line in the book is like, I don't I don't enjoy small talk. Frankly, I don't find the weather all that exciting. <laughs> right. <And> well, it's, <laughs> I think yeah. that's a lot of it. I was just, I've had to do a lot of work on myself to learn how to talk to people off stage on stage. I know how to do that, but I'm, you know, off stage. It's, 
that's a that's a skill I've I spent lots of time developing. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Now I I get the question a lot or the compliment. Uh, you should go on AGT or you should be on Masters of Illusion. You should be on whatever they've seen recently. You should go. And I used to hate that. I used to be like I don't want to have this conversation with you. But then it took me a while to understand what they're doing is trying to connect more. Uh, that's. Yeah, that's that's all they want when they're asking about the weather. They just want to be a part, a connection to, you know, I, I try to think about the way that I am. Um, if I met. You know, a, a celebrity in some other. Social aspect, right, like if I'm eating at a buffet in Vegas and Rihanna is eating there, what in the hell would I say to Rihanna uh, that would be relevant? There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. I'm just nothing. gonna say I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna deflate that story right now. I don't think Rihanna is eating at the buffet, but I see what it's you're a <laughs> very nice buffet. She uh, she owns the buffet. Let's say, okay, let's okay, put it then that it's fine as long as it's expensive and, and flashy. That's good. Did you know no, she I agree is with the, you? She's the number one. She's the richest musician. Like she it's she crazy. has more money than McCartney. That performance yesterday, we're taping this the day after the uh, the Super Bowls. Yeah, this will uh, come out. So for, for you listening, the Super Bowl was was last week. But uh, it, we're, yeah, we're taping this literally the day after. What did you fantastic. think? She did, she did a great job. I, I thought it. it was amazing. It, was, it wasn't over the top. I mean, it was I mean, it was over the top, but compared to other ones, it wasn't. You know, it's just yeah. like this is the show. Let's keep it relatively simple. I thought it was great. And I, I think um, my go- only critiques of it come from expectations I have from past performances, you know, like I was expecting uh, other guest stars, you know, I was expecting like someone big to come out because she's done so many collaborations through the years. I was expecting one of those people to come out and they, and it was just about her and it was brilliant. And the staging was so far past anything anyone has ever seen technologically. I mean, I was thrilled when Kanye West did not show up. I was really worried he was going to make an appearance. I was like, oh, boy, this is not going to end well. Was that a rumor but, going around, or was that just you were just hoping? Well, one of the was... songs she did is a Kanye West song. He, oh, he features on it. Yeah. And it's a great song. I, I mean, I appre- I, I'm a fan of Kanye's music, but I'm not a fan of him as a human being. <laughs> this is the Cosby problem, because Cosby the, show reruns Cosby, yeah, are still on TV. And I am not ashamed to say occasionally I'll watch because there's some nostalgia mixed in there and it was just good television and they've left them on. And then you have to think about the guy that made all the money from this is that guy. You have to, you have to just make a personal choice. Same with Michael Jackson stuff. Like, can you separate the art from the artist? And if you can't, that's, that's your personal choice. And if you can, great. That's also your personal choice, but it is a, it's a weird time we live in because now we know everything about all the celebrities ever. But I, you, I guarantee you, like if this information were to come out about people famous in the forties, thirties, twenties, you know, and the the news and the uh, paparazzi would try, but stuff was it was easy to be secluded and have stuff, you know, not come out about your career. It was there was no internet, so now yeah. it's like we just we're in the age of information and age of, you know tear everybody down sometimes rightfully so it's, it's become yeah it's, beca- it's becoming harder to be an awful person and successful at the same time um, yeah it was a lot easier before so i have one more question about your book and then we'll move on to our quiz uh when you were compiling these stories did you did you compile the stories as they were happening did you have journals sitting around or was this a, a thing where you bit, had to go back and and remember things a little bit was writing in real time and a little bit, I mean, some of some, one of the stories is, you know, the first time I ever got up on stage. And another one was like 
when I was performing with my magic partner back in high school and we made a joke about Afghanistan and the day after 9-11 happened. And I Whoa. just thought that was such an interesting tidbit. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that in. It was a real short couple of paragraphs in the book. But um, yeah, some of it's remembering and some of it's in, in real time. And my new favorite thing now is like when something happens, I'll immediately when I get home and just start writing in journal and just try yeah. to keep the ideas. And um, David Sedaris is a big I'm a big fan of his big hero of mine. And his thing is just journal. Just keep. And he'll do that in meet and greets after the show. If something weird happens or something, and he'll immediately take out his notebook and start writing. So I've been trying to do that more, not just for the book, but also for the show, too. Just keep on. And Penn's talked about that, too. He used to think Bob Dylan was this genius, and then he, which he still thinks he is. Sure. But then he realized, oh, he was just keeping a notebook. You know, a lot of people think you just show up in the recording studio and it just flows out of you. Yeah. But it, it really not is only, just keeping a notebook. Not only that with Dylan, um, the, the thing that's, I'm I'm a huge Dylan fan, and the thing that has deflated me a little bit in learning about lyrics with him, and it's the same thing with the Beatles, really, is that a lot of these lyrics don't have much meaning or thought behind them other than that's the thing that sounded the best in that line. <laughs> and that's that's so much... That's I struggled so much with that in like lit classes in college and high school. Yeah. It's like, let's overanalyze what the author was, was thinking and a lot of times you talk to the author, like, I don't know, I just, I thought it sounded cool. Like, my aunt did that for my my uh, shameless promotion next to me right here. She's like, what does the tape on your face mean? Like, is that a metaphor? I'm like, I just thought it looked cool. just thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it's, it's, it's sad to hear that type of thing, you know? Like, there are a lot of Beatles songs where people really just poured over these lyrics. And I have a book that goes into, uh, there's, a, there's a huge digest. I can't remember who wrote it. But it goes into every Bob Dylan song and the meaning behind the lyric, where they came from. If there's an, an allusion to um, another folk song, it's in there or an allusion to something. It talks about it. Uh, and sometimes it's just like, well, we don't really know what this means. It probably was just something, you know, he was saying to himself that week. There's no, no other thing that it that it means. But the reason I asked about the the journaling and, and, and that type of thing is that I often tell people, young magicians who are starting to tour, like write down everything because it's one of the things I wished I would have done more, especially on some of these military tours when you're in a different place every day. And, you know, I've got command coins, challenge coins and stuff from different people. And I don't know the names of the, the people who gave them to me. And I wish I yeah. did because not that it's, you know, not that it'll ever come up again, but I just wish I had that information, um, the names of some of the towns. And sometimes I'll go back and try to Google and try to figure out some of the things I did that, you know, while it's fresh in my memory. But there are more stories that I've forgotten that I remember. And um, it's awesome that you've been able to, like, put into hard copy, into print, these stories forever. It's, you know, it's it gets a little you know, overwhelming at times too, because like we did, my wife and I did um, Franz Harari's House of Magic for three months in Macau. Mm -hmm. And about a couple weeks into that, I started journaling. We were doing eight shows a day sometimes, six days a week. So I was like journaling little things after every show. About a month in, I had to stop because I'm like, I am overanalyzing everything. And it's just, <laughs> you, you get to a point of it's not fun anymore. So that there, there's certainly a balance to journaling and keeping ideas and things you want to remember, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this uh, topic, as is as as is true with every week on this show, has nothing to do with any of this. Um, this Great. is a, a topic that that you don't know about and that nobody hardly knows this story. It's a very obscure, weird story. And for the first question, we're going to play 
for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke. Uh, this is multiple okay, I got, choice. I got two good ones ready. My wife oh, found two good ones for me. Fantastic. So here's your question. Between World War One and World War Two, a small town in France maintained a grave for a soldier, but according to General George Patton, it was a mistake. Instead of a soldier's grave, what were they maintaining? Was it A, a used latrine pit, B, a buried horse, or C, a failed flower bed? I just want it to be a latrine pit because of Robin Hood men in tights. <laughs> What's the scene? What I don't remember the, the a latrine scene. Are we allowed scene. to swear on this? <laughs> I, I try to keep it somewhat clean. Okay. Uh... I'll, I'll change I can it believe it too. I mean, I, the, I, the name, she, her, the one character's name is Latrine. She's like, oh boy, what was that? I'm, and I'm botching the joke. She's like, well, it used to be shithouse. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to go for A, the used latrine pit? That's what I'm going for. The answer is A, a used latrine pit. That is correct. So That's fantastic. Yeah, it's exactly what happened. We know about this because George Patton, much like yourself, kept uh, journals. And he had all his stories and everything in these journals. And I don't know if he was planning on publishing these or if this was just for his, you know, uh, for for posterity. But his wife published them, had them published after he died. And one of these stories was that in World War II, he visited one of the towns that he was in in World War One, And he found this grave and he knew it was not a real grave because it said abandoned rear on the cross and the french thought that was some apparently some person's name or the name of this of this grave and they had been maintaining it and he remembered learning about it during world war 1 and he never said anything to the the town's mayor who pointed it out to him with tears in his eyes so um <laughs> they did not know that they just filled in a latrine pit you got it right so i owe you a joke uh but since your your wife found you a joke i want you to read yours also uh okay so here's here's my joke uh it's world war 1 on the straits of gallipoli the soldiers are ready to charge from their trenches, and this British officer decides to make a rousing speech to his troops. He says, listen here, lads, did you come here to die? And the Australian answers, nah, mate, I came here yesterday. That's so dumb. That's just such a bad Australian accent. Um, just, just really, oh, really. Oh, I thought you were doing a pirate. <laughs> well, the word mate could go. If you're using the word mate, you're either pirate or Australian, one of the two. Yeah. All right, let's this hear one my, of your jokes. This is my Australian. Yeah, that's all I can yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. All I can do. I got two real quick ones. Um, How did the hipster burn his mouth? How? He ate his pizza before it was cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good one. That's a, that's a funny joke. That's a good one. Okay, we got another one. Why do ducks have feathers? Why? To cover their butt quacks. I think it's a groan too. <laughs> what the, what you're listening to are papers being crumpled and torn into the microphone. Welcome to ASMR with Michael Kent. Welcome uh, to Michael's ASMR. So yeah, you're you're one for one. You're killing it so far. Uh, where's your next show? Where are you headed to after this? Um, I just did a weekend in Santa Monica. There's a cool new magic theater called Illusion Magic Lounge. Oh, cool! And so I'm there again. Well. This airs next week. So I would have just been there uh, <laughs> with my it. buddy Joe Skilton. Okay. And then I hop on a princess ship. And I get, I do have two public shows and two weekends of public shows in March. I'll be in San Antonio 
the second weekend of March. I think that's the 10th through 12th in um, San Antonio, like I said, at the Magician's Agency. And then I'm doing Erie PA's Keller's Magic and Comedy Club. Um, I want to say it's the 24th to the 26th. So come on out, see a show, buy some tickets. Have you done uh, Keller's before? First time doing Keller's. It's um, it's a good Magicians club. Agency. I've done a bunch. Okay. Yeah. Is it good? Great. I, yeah. You've done that a bunch, right? I did it. Yeah. I did it last year, I believe. Uh, I did it. No, I might have done it before that. I I, I think I did it in twenty one, um, and it was during the middle of like COVID restrictions. So it was the first show back after the first show I did back after we were virtual for like a year and a half, and gotcha. uh, they were at half capacity. Which was still fine. It was still, you know, full a full club. But uh, yeah. it's a great club. Bobby's great. You'll you'll love that. Um, so let's move on to question number two. For this question, if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me an embarrassing story. It can be from the stage or from life, whatever you'd like. And it, it can be sure. a story from your book if you want to tease something from in there. Which one of these is not a word used in the military for a bathroom? So two of these are things that within the military have been used for bathrooms one's not a head b cat hole or c mud bucket cat hole i'm a maybe on that one a maybe the answer mud bucket is not I made I made mud bucket up because I, I really liked the way it sounded. I wanted someone to refer to their bathroom as mud bucket. So well, head is right now. Yeah, head is pretty uh, common. We all have heard head and head gets used, you know, outside of the military, of course. Um, but it's not just the Navy that uses head. I, I believe that's used across a few different branches. Cat hole is something that originated during Desert Storm uh, for what we're talking about with this latrine pit is basically just a hole dug in the earth that for soldiers yeah. to uh, to poop in. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> For me to poop in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm excited I, to hear a story. Um, you don't have here. to read, I, but I'll give you the option. You can, um, it's either when I opened for my buddy Justin at the Kennedy center and something went wrong or hmm. when I did Penn and Teller fool us and something went wrong. Well, Oh, those are both, those both sound great. Um, they're do, both stories in here. They're both quick stories. Let's do everything in here. This is a quick read. I want to hear Which the one, one uh, Ju- Justin, I believe, has been on this show. I know I had him on my other show. Let's let's hear the one w- w- at the Kennedy Center. That sounds exciting. Okay. A theater in D.C. I was opening for a friend on tour. This was show 15 out of 20-something for this part of the run. We drove up from Lynchburg, Virginia the day before, which, despite the name, was filled with wonderful people. We had two shows scheduled that night, a 7 p.m. and a 9 p.m. The 7 p.m. was great. I went out there, did my little opening routine, kicked off what would be a great show. Between the first and second shows, I made what would later become a much more powerful vodka and soda than I had anticipated. As I ran out to do my 9 p.m. show, I suddenly noticed my depth perception was off. The trick I was doing involved a wine bottle gracefully balanced on a small cooking tray. I lifted the tube to reveal said wine bottle, and in a moment that is now in constant replay in my head, I knocked it off, knocked it off the tray onto the downstage steps and right into the front row. The audience's excitement dwindled. In my mind, a record scratched and the room went silent. As a performer, these are the moments you have nightmares about, which happened at one of the most famous theaters in the country. Somehow, the bottle did not shatter, so I quickly grabbed it and continued the trick like nothing had happened. In magic and in life, you can tell the audience you screwed up or played off like it was part of the show. About 60% bought it was part of the show, and the other 40% wonder why this show did not have a better opening act. 
my soda water has no longer has vodka in it before I go on stage. <laughs> uh, I can feel my heart dropping. I can put myself in that moment because I think any entertainer mm-hmm. has had moments that are like, of course, not. I've never been at the Kennedy Center <laughs> with with dignitaries in, in the time. audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, oh my gosh! Well, yeah. What would you have done? Uh, I'm sure you've replayed in your mind a million times. What What would you have done if that bottle shattered? You know what? I don't know. The answer is luckily just something it was, else. It, it was, you know, it's. I was doing such a quick opening because you know I was, you know, I'm tour manager and I'm running the show backstage, so. You know, I'm just there to to warm up the crowd, essentially. And man, it's it is what. Luckily, the trick is called multiplying bottles. So I would have hopefully found some more bottles to multiply. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, heard of that. But trick. as you know, as you know, with I mean, your 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 presentation of that trick is fantastic. So Thank it's you. like, you know, when that trick goes great, it's awesome. When it doesn't go great, uh, it's it's there's no recovery for that trick. <laughs> no, no. Um, I did have one where. They they became bowling pins at the end, basically, uh, you know, I knocked knocked one over and then all of the other ones as I clumsily scrambled to try to catch the first one knocked over mm-hmm. the other one starting a chain reaction. Um, and it was bad. I, it was bad. I do mine with a cloth pole. So it's like it's oh, already yeah. nerve wracking to do with that. I mean, I've done it so many times. It's like you don't even think about it. But sure. there is such an extra added element of I hope I don't knock over these expensive props <laughs> yeah, no totally totally and i do know what uh, you know what you're saying also about as a comedian especially as a, a or as, as a magician and as a comedy magician we get away with a lot of mistakes that people never know about because no, nobody knows what's supposed to happen so um that's that's sort of the the beauty in that well uh so for question three we're gonna play for a sticker uh the internet says it's true sticker these are uh, square oh. and sticky which one of these is true of General George Patton? So in this case, one is true, the other two I made up. So General George Patton. A, he was an Olympic athlete. B, he never carried a firearm. Or C, he was scared of airplanes. I want B to be true. That he never carried a firearm? Yeah. Is that what you're going to go with? Yeah. The answer... It's A. He was an Olympic athlete, believe it or not. Um, And the reason I put the firearm in there is because I did not know this, but much like Wild Bill Hickok, he carried two pistols on his belt everywhere he went with ivory handles on them. He had ivory grips. Um, Yeah, so I did that. And then the the story about the airplanes, um, in his journals, I I was reading through some of the ones that are listed um, on the internet from the Library of Congress, Congress. He went up in a a biplane with Billy Mitchell, who was very famous for being one of the first military aviators um, and described in detail what that was like going up in the in the airplane and probably one of the first, you know, non aviator military people to go up in an airplane and and kind of see what that feels like. But I've learned so much about World War Two and World War One history on this podcast. Oh, I'm I'm telling you, uh, there's so much. This is what every week is like for me is that I just enjoy like learning stories that I never knew and that are interesting to tell at parties. And the fact that the, there was a town in France that maintained a grave that was really, uh, what we call it a mud bucket <laughs> is, um, is quite amazing to me. So, uh, you're going, uh, one for three so far. 
Um, oh, so I do have information about that. So Patton was selected to compete in the first ever Olympic modern pentathlon at the 1912 Summer Games in Stockholm. This is from History.com. I don't know this off the top of my head. I read all this. Uh, there were 42 competitors. He finished fifth, um, but he might have meddled if not for a controversy in the pistol shooting event. The judges thought that he missed the target with one of his shots, and he, to the end of his life, argued that he was such a good marksman that one of his bullets actually traveled through a bullet hole he had already made. Um, and he was actually going to be in the 1916 Olympics, but he went to war, so he did not. Huh. So there you okay. go. Uh, question four. For this question, Nick, we're going to play for doing the dishes. So if you get it wrong, you've immediately got to go do the dishes when we're done. If you get it right, I'll do mine, and I do have a sink full of dishes right now. Uh, so here is your question. We've talked about military. We've talked about World War One, World War Two. We've talked about George Patton. The thing we haven't talked about much is the toilet. How many times does the average person visit the toilet? And per in day? this question, we're using toilet to mean bathroom. And th this is per day? Uh, no, th I'm sorry. This is per year. I didn't put that in the question, but this is per year. Mm. Can I do some math real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, got, I have to give you options. Let's make this uh, a multiple choice. A, 500, B, 2,500, or C, 750? Uh, I'm going to go B. I just did a quick math of three times a day for a year, and that's 1,095. So okay. I'm going to go B. The answer is B, 2,500 times a year. That's a lot. I mean, you know, I'm assuming I mean, that's... I've paid three times today, so it's not that surprising. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you count number one and number two, I'm, I spent half my day in there, I guess. Um, so this podcast just went in a bad direction. But Sometimes it's just to escape. You know, that's the only <laughs> time you can really escape your phone or your family. I'm not. Um, I don't, I don't I know just, about I'm you, but I'm not escaping have... my phone when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's where I use it the most. Uh, I know it's it's true. I try I try to I'm like okay I'll leave it out there. Not like I have right now. I have um, Stephen Hawking's book in the bathroom, so I'll kind of flip through that, get through like a paragraph, and pretend to know understand what I just read. <laughs> just some light reading. It's like ah oh, yes, and then you go back to your phone. Now the people on my Patreon know this, but I haven't really talked about it much uh, else. I am working on compiling a lot of these stories for a bathroom reader, um, and I I will pick your brain at some point about publishing. And, uh, and, and, you know, talk to you about that process. But uh, these stories are totally poop stories, right? Like the, the length of time that these stories take to take to tell, they're just a few pages long. They're just two or three page long stories. And I have so many of them and they're so strange um, that I think it, it'd be a good bathroom reader. The Internet says it's true book, the book. You know, I, I've had so many people come up and be like, oh, I finished your book right away. Or like, you know, thank you for making it a quick read because like people are busy. They don't got time to read long books <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and it does when you first heard that were you like it took me a really long time to write this i can't believe you finished it so quickly it's so sad yeah i'm like the average book is 40 to fifty thousand words right and yeah. my book is eighteen thousand words so mm -hmm. it's and even that took a long time it took some refinement and getting rid of things so like it, it's you spend so much time looking at it that you get to the point where it's like it's never going to be done. I need to just finish this and put it out into the world. There's mistakes. There's things I wish I wish other things were in there that I forgot. There's like two stories I forgot to put in after I published. I'm like, darn it. But yeah. just, it's never it's never going to be done. 
Well, you have a, a good opportunity for part two. Magically-er in, in, introverted. Magically-er, yeah. yeah. More magically introverted. More magically introverted. <laughs> that's probably the better title. Uh, or, or you could do a whole series. You could do magically extroverted and then change yeah, it up a little I, bit. It'll be about how I've, you know, changed my ways. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, a Jewish person becoming Christian or like reverse. Like, yeah. You know, you're just, your whole worldview is flipped upside down. Yeah, it <laughs> makes you like a dynamic character that's that's progressing. I love it. Well, uh, <laughs> let's see. You went two and two so far. And this next one's for all the marbles. If you get this wrong... I'm banning you from the show. You'll never be asked on again. If you get it right, I would love to have you back. Here is your question. What is the most interesting thing that's happened to you so far in 2023? Can I cheat by like a month and a half? (laughs) What do you mean? Like something happened in December? Uh, November, beginning of November. Yeah, we can count that. That counts. Listen, I'm a millennial. I didn't think it was going to happen, but my wife and I purchased a house in California, which seemed like an impossibility. And like, luckily, uh, with a little help from friends and family to advise us and guide us, uh, we were able to pull it off. So that, that, I mean, that's just a crazy thought for me. I didn't think I would ever be a homeowner as a millennial live in one thing, millennial and two things, uh, living in the most expensive state in the world, California. So we just, Right time, right place, and uh, we got very lucky. So that's that's something interesting that that's, happened. That's very interesting and a correct answer, and congratulations to you. Welcome to home ownership. Uh, I think what you'll find now is all those little expenses that you never knew were going to happen, being that you're still in your first year. Um, I don't know what it's, I mean, it's different in California, but I, I can remember buying the home in the summer, and then it got to winter, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't have a snowblower. Oh, yeah. I don't have like covers for my patio furniture. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the next summer and you're like, I, I, or the spring. And I'm like, I need a better lawnmower. Like all these little things yeah. that they're not That's so funny, little when and they add up. When you're a renter, you're like, yeah, I'll pour coffee grounds down the, the sink. Who gives a crap? This is in my house. And now I'm like, oh, God, I got to be careful with these coffee grounds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, it's been so cool having you on, and uh, I feel like we could talk about this forever. So I'm going to pick up your book and 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 read it, and you guys should too. Uh, once again, it's called Magically Introverted by Nick Paul. And where can they find this book? Amazon.com, baby. It's on the uh, Amazon. Or if you just go to nickpaulbook.com, it'll take you right to the Amazon link, and it'll be, hopefully by the time this airs, the Audible will be up too. So if you don't like to read, I will read it to you. I spent a month reading this book <laughs> and editing it, so whatever you want to do. Is Fantastic. Fine. You can learn more about Nick Paul by visiting his website. That's nickpaul.net, N-I-C-K-P-A-U-L.net. You can learn uh, where you can see him and, and get tickets, and you can also buy the book straight from there. So... Uh, mm. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it too. That is all for this week. Thank you so much to my friend Nick Paul for being my guest. Here is a kid who whipped those Germans in the fields of France. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True!
The internet says it's true. We'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts. And you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent.